All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're picking up our reading and the series that we began last Sunday. I want to start our reading in, in chapter 1 tonight, and then what we'll do, and I understand that you don't want to stand forever. Uh, we'll read the last few verses of chapter 2, and then as we go through the sermon tonight, we'll read, we'll read the bulk of chapter 2 this evening and just ask the Lord to help us understand His Word and find application for our hearts. So, Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And almost universally, commentaries and historians believe this to be Solomon, and, and I believe that as well. There would be some that disagree, but I, I think it was. In the context of the writing, it makes the most sense. And so, verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit, profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh? And then he uses this phrase, under the sun, which will be repeated throughout the book many, many times. So, chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat, or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge, and those two words right here. This is what Solomon's been chasing his whole life. That's what he's after. He says, God gives wisdom, God gives knowledge, but God is also the one who gives joy. And he says wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. And I want to go, come back to this phrase again in the first part of verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good, and the Bible says, in his sight. And that's the title of the message tonight, good in his sight. And that's what we want to focus our efforts on in this life and for a few moments tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a good day. Father, thank you for the music tonight, for Madeline Special, for the choir this morning and tonight, just the way they sang and ministered to hearts. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your blood, your grace, uh, your love for us tonight. Lord, thank you for the gift of each other uh, and, and the time we could share in this place this evening. Lord, would you speak to our hearts and help us to find um, a thought tonight that would be a help as we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Have you ever had an itch in the middle of your back before uh, <laughs> that is too low to get from the top? And you're just kind of sitting there like, I can't quite get it. And, uh, and then it's, it's, it's too high to get from the bottom. And so you're just sitting there. I had a college professor one time, and he, he would always get an itch right there. And so right in the middle of the, you know, the, the session there, he, he would go over to a, a doorpost, and he'd just start scratching his back on the doorpost. You know? <laughs> Dude, stop that, you know. It can be so frustrating and irritating. And you try to ignore it, but the more you ignore it, the more you think about it. And sometimes we get that itch, and Solomon certainly had it, not on his back, but in his soul, in his heart. There was this restlessness, this need that he had that he could not quite scratch. And that is in, a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a word picture of what he may have felt. And instead of getting someone else to scratch it for him or going to the Lord to scratch it for him, he did everything in his power to take care of it himself. He so badly wanted satisfaction in his heart. He had this nagging desire to find happiness, to find joy, to find meaning and purpose in this life. And he uses this phrase over and over again, under the sun. And that is a perspective that we need to keep in mind. It's the key to unlocking Ecclesiastes and understanding 
because he is looking at life under the sun, and the opposite of that is life above the sun. And, and that's the goal through the series. That's go- Solomon's goal with this book, that we would say, look, under the sun is one thing, but we need to be looking over the sun and, and at the future that we will live in and be in for eternity. You know, Solomon's father, David, had found satisfaction in God, and he found satisfaction in God alone. But Solomon had access to the world in a way his father David did not. You think about David's beginning, shepherd boy. And, and, and there's a whole research and study out there that, that, that David was rejected by his brothers. And I don't want to go into all that tonight, but here he is socially isolated. He is on the, the bottom of the social ladder. He's on the bottom of the economical ladder. He has nothing. And, and then he climbs his way up and God blesses him and God uses his faith and his love for him. And then only to be smitten back down by Saul, to be hunted for his life. All David had was God. He didn't have anything else. But that's not Solomon's story. Solomon inherits a kingdom. He inherits peace. He inherits prosperity. He inherits wealth. Uh, he, he, he inherits all of these, uh, these things. And so here Solomon is. And, and he decides to find out the purpose and meaning of life under the sun. And so in chapter 1, he sought satisfaction and joy in wisdom and in knowledge. And he's looking at it. This was his number one request, if you'll remember from last week in 1 Kings chapter 3. God comes to him and says, I'll give you anything. He says, I want wisdom, God, so that I can be a blessed to other people. But he looked at wisdom for a source of joy exclusively, and it wasn't there. And he looks at knowledge, and he applies himself deeply, and he doesn't He's not able to scratch that itch, and he just got more frustrated. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I gave my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this is also vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom, he said, the more I know and the more I understand, he said, is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increases sorrow. And so since wisdom let Solomon down in chapter 2, he turns to seeking satisfaction, happiness, this idea of joy and meaning in things that are physical. And before we get into these thoughts, I think it's important for us to set this context. He didn't abandon wisdom. He retained it. It wasn't like he entered into these hedonistic pursuits without his wisdom. No, he entered into them with his wisdom. And he begins to explain them. In verse 2 he says, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. I'm going to do these things, but with wisdom. Verse 9, I was great. I increased in more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And he says, and also my wisdom remained with me. And he'll say it again later in the chapter. This man was rich beyond imagination. Even on a scale in our world today that could not be comprehended. He had the ability to satisfy his curiosities and appetites in a way that perhaps no one in the human history has been able to. Literally anything he saw, anything he wanted, he was able to attain it. In verse 10 he says, Whatsoever my eyes desired, he says, I kept not from them. I withheld my heart not from any joy. The guy tried everything. He had no limitations of power, of authority, of wealth. But Solomon found that life apart from God, that life exclusively lived under the sun, even when every heart's desire is fulfilled, is still empty and it's vain. And he starts the book with this tone. It's this dark, dreary tone. Now he's going to bring it out and his things get sunnier. But he said it's all vanity. 
and, it, and, it, and it's vain and it's purposeless. Those in our day, in our time, in 2023, if you pay attention, those that have achieved money and those that have achieved power and fame often echo the same hollow words Solomon wrote. And they come to the same conclusion from movie stars to athletes, corporate workers, politicians, you name it. They all say it. It's purposeless. It's vanity. But it's not just them. See, this is true for the average American, too. We have more than any people on earth in the history of the world. And we are not happier for it. And our response is this. Well, we need more. And so we give ourselves to the pursuit of material things, thinking it's those things that will make us happier. And we try pleasure, and we try more power, and we try more freedom, only to come to the same conclusion in the end, if we're honest, that the pursuit of those things, too, is vanity. I, I, I want to pursue this idea tonight. And, and I want all the thoughts that we articulate in the next few moments to point back to this thought. And that is simply this. Happiness is not a goal. And, now bear with me for a minute because we don't like that and I understand it. Happiness is not a goal. It's a byproduct of choices we make, but it is not a goal to pursue. And that's what Solomon was trying to do. So I'm going to go get joy. I'm going to go get happiness. I'm going to pursue this, and I'm going to pursue it indirect, directly. And so he pursues happiness to its better end, better end, and he couldn't find it. It is the equivalent of chasing the wind. You ever see a child outside before, and the leaves are blowing, and they see the wind, and they're running in the wind, they're happy, and they're chasing the wind, and you may think, maybe, I, maybe I'm the bad person here, thinks, that's stupid little kid. They're never going to catch it, you know? You can't catch it. I'm glad you're having fun, but you can't catch it. And that's what Solomon was trying to do. I'm going to pursue something that is entirely elusive. And he could not catch happiness. Instead, happiness comes when we pursue that which is good and right. And in the phrase tonight, good in his sight, good in the eyes of God. And, and so these thoughts all kind of flow again to this thought. And the first one is simply this. We need to make it a goal in our lives to find happiness in what we already have. We need to find happiness in what we already have. One of life's great paradoxes is that in trying to be happy, in trying to find pleasure in direct pursuit, we make ourselves unhappy. Literally the opposite happens. As we try to pursue pleasure, as we try to pursue joy as an object to be attained, it is elusive, and not only do we not get it, we get the direct opposite of that. We become more unsatisfied. We become more discouraged. We become less happy. And Solomon is evidence of that. The more you have of something, the more you need of it to make you happy. But the more you have of it, the more unhappy you will be. So let's look at some of the things tonight that Solomon pursued. And in verse 1 and 2, and if, you, if you'll just leave your Bibles open for a few minutes, because we're going to go through this line item by line item because he did. And so verse one, he says, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And he says, behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth, what doeth it? Okay, so he says, I'm gonna pursue mirth and pleasure. Mirth is the idea of gaiety. 
It's the idea of having fun. It's the idea of laughter. Pleasure is defined, maybe we can define it this way, as the gratification of the senses. These are things that touch the flesh more than they do the soul. And the immediate effect of mirth and pleasure is to momentarily diminish the harsh realities that are found around us. Now look, these things are not evil. In fact, nothing in this list is intrinsically, it's not, he's not saying these things are bad, that you shouldn't pursue pleasure, you shouldn't, or you shouldn't pursue it is different than saying you can't experience it or mirth. He is not saying that. That has its place in our hearts and in our lives. But he is pursuing these things as if they will give him the joy, the satisfaction in life he seeks. So pleasure in releases inside of our brain endorphins, and that creates a drug-like effect on our central nervous system. It helps us to zone out, helps us to feel good in a moment. And again, it's not all bad, but I think, again, the point Solomon is trying to make that he gave himself deliberately and intentionally to pursue these things for their own sake. And the problem with pleasure and gaiety and mirth is simply this. It has no power to enrich us. It doesn't make us better people. It's not going to give us purpose in life. It's superficial, and it's a form of escape that we use to avoid harsher things. Neil Postman, the old philosopher, said that Americans are the best entertained and the least well-informed people the world has ever known. The television that we have, and, and, and now, you know, when I was a kid, it was like a new show came out every once in a while, and now, you know, every week there are, there are new shows and movies that are just rolling out endlessly, and we give ourselves to them. And it's about as silly an illusion of pleasure and happiness as it could possibly get, because the very people who make it and sell it are some of the most miserable people on planet Earth. And you just look at their personal lives and you think your lives are broken. And they're the ones writing this stuff and making it. And again, this isn't like evil to watch it. But we just need to be careful with how we give ourselves to it and the time we spend watching and engaging the world in this way. We need to be careful the pleasure, be sure that it doesn't displace other important things in life. Things like reading. And we have fallen so far behind in that. Things like family time and what happened to games and interacting with one another and talking in a circle and, and just doing that, talking. What happened to thinking and writing, the creation of music and rest? See, if we're not careful, our entertainment and amusement will become a form of oppression in our lives. We come to adore it, but then it destroys our capacity to think and it destroys our social life, and it impacts us in negative ways. And Solomon said, I gave myself to this with my wisdom attached. And he said it was vanity and it's folly. Verse 3, he says, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. So he's saying this, I'm going to drink alcohol, and I'm going to pursue this as an end to pleasure. But I'm going to keep my wisdom with me. I'm not, going to be, I'm not going to be foolish about it. I'm going to be wise about it. But he says, and to lay hold on folly. So there's this association with it. You, you can't help it. Like the two go together. That I might see what was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the, heaven, under the heavens all the days of their life. And he discovers what he wrote in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, that wine is a mocker. 
that strong drink is raging. And then he says this, if you're deceived by it, then you're not wise. And so Christian freedom, like political freedom, is a wonderful blessing and it's a privilege, but it is not licensed for us to be irresponsible. All things may be lawful, but not all things are expedient. And there's a difference between the two. You can do what you want to do as a Christian, but you need to be thoughtful and wise and expedient. And Paul said this, that he wouldn't be brought under the power of any. And so Solomon gives himself to it. And when it comes to alcohol, I think we specifically need to ask questions like, what does it do for you that's profitable? Answer that. Think it through. Is the trade-off of what it could do to my life or to my family's life or to someone that I love or my child's life worth the risk? Because it has been proven to do more harm than good. And so Solomon gave himself to it. And he said, well, that didn't make me any happier. So he pursues these things. And again, they're not evil. He's just saying, I'm giving myself to them and they're not producing what I want. And so then he says, I give myself, and I'm just going to classify this as great works. And so this is a little lengthier, but bear with me. Verse 4, he says, I made me great works. I built me houses, planted me vineyards. I made me orchards, gardens and orchards, planted trees and them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water with the wood that bringeth forth trees. Got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. And I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. He says he gathered silver and gold, peculiar treasures of kings of the provinces, provinces. He got me singers that were men and women and the delights of the sons as men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And he's just saying the entertainment of the day, whatever top shelf there was, he had it. Verse 9, I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And he says in my wisdom again, it remained with, with me. This guy had inexhaustible resources. And he set out to find happiness and accomplishment and achievement, houses, vineyards, gardens, swimming pools, water holes, servants, silver, gold, entertainers, you name it. Like he just, he had it all. The unimaginable happened though. He got everything. The things we look at and dream about. The Instagram home you look at and go, wow, that would be cool to live there. He had it. And it didn't satisfy. And it didn't make him happy. And then the icing on the cake, verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, he says, I kept not from them. I withheld my heart not from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Absolute indulgence. All because he could. The bank account numbers kept growing. Everything was in the green. Life was as good as it could possibly be. Every convenience, every pleasure. Unbridled hedonism. He took and he had whatever he wanted. He has it all. Hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines, you name it. Verse 11, well, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit under the sun. So I, 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 I tried to scratch that thing. Top, bottom, side, side, I can't get there. I've tried everything. I've done it all. Vanity of spirit, this grief, this sorrow, this restlessness, this disappointment, this anguish that he felt in his heart. And the reason is simply this. Happiness and pleasure 
sought for its own sake, brings diminishing returns. When I was a boy in grade school, I don't exactly remember why I won a prize, but I won a prize, and it was an entire bag of banana Laffy Taffy. <laughs> and I, you know, I was third grade or something, I don't know, I, you know, at that age I loved banana Laffy Taffy, it was a big deal to me. And so I take it home, and I just start eating this stuff, and it's so good. You know, I eat the first piece, the second piece, and I am just pounding this bag of Laffy Taffy. And, and every piece I ate after the second or third piece didn't taste quite as good. And I got, I don't know, third through that bag, maybe half, I don't know. I, I, I'm, eating, I'm destroying this bag. And then my, my stomach started to hurt. And I got so sick from Laffy Taffy. And uh, the thought of it, in fact, telling this story, I'm getting some PTSD happening right now. I, to this day, I got so sick from that, I can't touch the stuff. Um, you say the words taffy, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, that's disgusting. And my kids, my wife, they love taffy. And, you know, we'll go to Silver Dollar City, and there's a, there's a taffy shop there. And they'll go inside and come out with all this taffy. I'm like, I'm not even going in the store. You know, <laughs> I just, I got to stay away from it. Why? Well, because I was looking for something that would make me happy for its own sake. But it brought diminishing returns. And it continues to bring diminishing returns for me. So I can tell you this from personal experience. You might love, Laffy, love taffy, but the more of it you eat, the less you will like it. You might love taking a shower, a hot shower, but you take 20 in a day, and all of a sudden it's not as fun. You might love visiting out-of-town family. <laughs> Next point. All right. <laughs> hey. I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, after we could be in together, it's not quite as much fun. The law of diminishing returns applies to things that are novel, complex, that are mundane, eating, sleeping, alcohol, working out at the gym, taking vacations, caffeine. The examples here are endless. They all lead to diminishing returns. All give back less. And the more you do of them, the more you try, the more you have, it doesn't satisfy. Solomon had, had all the wealth we could dream of. He, he, he says, he paints this picture like, whatever you dream about, whatever your bucket list is of things you want to buy, whatever you, whatever's like really high priority for you, if we just had this, he says, that's not evil or wrong to have, and, and it might give you some satisfaction in the moment. But he says, when you get to life's end, it's not worth sometimes the, 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 the price tag that's attached to it. And so the sad truth that Solomon discovered too late is if you get what you're chasing, it's not necessarily going to bring you, want you what you want. What did Solomon ultimately want? Well, he wanted purpose, meaning, joy, satisfaction. He was chasing it as a goal, like it was something that could be had in direct pursuit. But those things that matter to us are byproducts of a right mindset and the pursuit of other things. So they're not evil to have. And we might need them, and we might have a good purpose for them. But don't be pursuing those things for the reason that that's going to make me a happy person. It's going to let you down. And on the other side, it'll be, you'll be disappointed just like he was. So here's the big paradox. Accepting that life isn't perfect and that we don't have all the answers actually makes us happier people. 
this is verified in God's Word. It's verified in social research today. You can't have all the answers, but you need to know the God that does. This isn't a plea for ignorance or laziness. I am not saying don't study. I am not saying don't ask hard questions. I, I am not saying don't apply yourself. I think we have a responsibility to do those things. Solomon did, and he didn't, he didn't regret doing those things. We can, we should ask questions, we should work hard to find truth. But to minus God from the equation is futile. So you take God out of their questions. You take God out of your answers. Well, then you're, not, you're going to end in frustration and purposelessness and ruin. Solomon wanted answers, but he wanted answers on his terms. Solomon wanted control. And you can't have ultimate control because God reserves that for himself. So look at how this, this develops. Look at verse 15. He says, Then I said in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? He says, Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? Well, he says, As the fool? Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This all is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Solomon learned to master his world but he could not master death. He says, I, I, I have done all of this, but I can't extend my own timeline. I can't control what happens after me. And the guy that comes after me, he may blow it all up. He did. He did. And he says, I can't control this. I can't master purpose. I can't master meaning. I can't master life itself. Why? And he, he is... He is so angry and upset and sleepless and restless about this because he was trying to be in control. And only God is in control. And only God is sovereign. And he, saw, he thought he could somehow figure everything out and learn to control all things, but he couldn't. And he began to despair because of his limitations. And the sum total of Solomon's effort in his lifetime was this. I'm going to die and leave it all behind. And so he says, I built this incredible empire. And I hate it all. I despise my existence. I hate what I built. I hate the big bank account. I hate, what I, I hate all of this. See, happiness and joy, you can't chase after them directly. They come to those that are good in His sight. Happiness is found within the boundaries of God's control. And we have to learn, like Solomon did, to trust in the provision God has given us and the boundaries he has placed around us to trust in his sovereignty by learning to rest, to stop going and going and going as if we can control the world when we really can't. Don't take through your efforts what only God can give to you. And Solomon was trying to control it. Instead, make it a goal to find happiness in the life you already have. That's the goal. And so Solomon warns us that even if we get what we want, 
it, it doesn't mean we have the power to even enjoy it. Having something and enjoying something, they are not the same thing. There are people who have what you want and they don't appreciate it. And you have a lot of things other people want and you're not appreciating it. You can earn through your efforts and through your labor more money. You can get more stuff. But outside of God, we can't control it. Not really. The pleasure lasts a moment and then it's gone. And the ache we had that we had before returns and often it's much worse. And so we get the house and then we're thinking about the next house. We get the car and we're thinking about the next one. See, it's hard to enjoy, it's hard to enjoy a meal that you really like when you have indigestion. <laughs> you could buy the nicest house possible and not be able to sleep in it. And Solomon wrote this in 2.23, for all his days are sorrow and his travail grief. And then he says yeah, this. This is, this is his personal testimony. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. So nighttime falls and he returns to that home. He goes to his palace and all he had built and he had no rest. He couldn't enjoy all the things he had accomplished. So what are we to do? Well, we involve God in our pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment. We trust Him. We pursue Him instead. We take a break. We look to Him above the sun and not under it. And I think this tonight. We learn to look for and find happiness all around us in the life we have tonight. So verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This is a decision you make. God's not going to make your soul do it. Solomon didn't make his soul do it. He had it all. He says, the things you have and the food in your house may not be all that you want, but it's what you have. The house you have and the life you have and the spouse you have and the children you have or the relations you have, the church you have. He says, make your soul. He says this, make your soul enjoy good. Make your soul. Force yourself to. The sunset on a late summer night. You can complain about how hot it is or you can sit there and enjoy the beauty. The pleasure of friends over a meal playing catch with a child, working together with a sister and a brother in Christ on a project or at the church, the pleasure of sending encouragement to a friend and knowing that it will make them smile. See, it's the journey, and it is not life's destination that delivers the best life. Solomon, all he could focus on was the destination, and he thought, I'll be happy when, and he wasn't. And we have to choose otherwise. Too many of us are active and busy and chasing things that at the end of life, we're going to look at and go, well, that was pointless. The wise and the foolish, he said, they all die. And everything, verse 18, 19, is going to be taken from you. Happiness is not a goal to pursue. It's something that we find along life's way. And the challenge tonight is this. Find joy in your life now. Purpose to look around you in your circumstances with gratitude and make your soul enjoy good.
Say, God, thank you for these things. Thank you for what I have. And I'm going to want it. The end of verse 24. Here's this man who makes his soul enjoy good. He says, this also I saw. He says that it was from the hand of God. Verse 26 again. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner gives travail, gather ups and heaps that he may give to him that is good before God. And he says, that's vanity. That's vexation. So enjoy good. Enjoy what you have. God is the one that is in control. And we are going to find happiness when we are good in his sight. And that requires a different perspective. Not looking at this life and focusing on everything under the sun. Everything on your phone. Everything on your television. Most of the books you have and read. Most of the things we watch. This world system, the emphasis of your work environment, is all going to be on things under the sun. And we're going to come into church for an hour Sunday morning, an hour Sunday night, an hour Wednesday night. And three hours out of a full seven days, we're going to be challenged to look above the sun. And we need to take this perspective into our real lives. Not that this isn't real life, but we need to take it into the other areas of our life. Say, so, you know, I'm going to look above the sun. I'm going to be grateful for what I have. I'm grateful I got a paycheck, that God's been good to me, that He loves me, that I have things to smile about. We have the life God's given to us. We need to purpose to enjoy it along life's way and stop pursuing other things to make us happy. God will give you what he wants to give you. You focus on being good in his sight. Let me ask you to stand tonight.